For February 22nd, it's your boy Dave. Your boy Adam. I am Numb Bills fan on Twitter. I'm Numb Bills Adam D. And coming up with us today is Matthew Collar from WGR at Matthew WGR on Twitter. All right, what's up, Matt? How you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? Cool, cool. I'm uh, pretty excited that we figured this out on our end with our uh, our setup here. Um. <laughs> So, essentially, what's the latest with LaShawn McCoy? I just saw something on Twitter that uh, Vic Carucci, he's hearing that somebody close to him, obviously, is saying, hey, he was helping out a friend. He saw his friend getting choked out, and he just, you know, rolled with it, I guess, tried to defend his friend that didn't land a punch, allegedly. Yeah, well, I mean, you know how these things go, right? That things start to come out on one side or another, and there's, sources and things like that and you know i i don't know what exactly to believe when it comes to something like this we're talking about in a bar at 2:45 in the morning when there's been you know probably a significant amount of drinking going on and you know it's just how can you really as an outsider not being there not knowing too many people even close to it and also understanding that whoever is leaking information to the media whether it be on the police side or McCoy side that they have a reason for doing so right and you know whatever story is going to come out is going to try to benefit one side or the other so the only thing that I think Bill fans can really do is sort of just wait and see but you know as this thing goes along you do get the feeling more and more that McCoy may not end up being charged ultimately if the uh, off-duty officers had a lot to do with this, um, that, you know, McCoy may end up just walking and maybe getting a suspension from the NFL for a game or something like that just for being involved in something. Because it seems to me that if the off-duty officers were more involved than initially thought uh, in starting some sort of altercation, then the district attorney might not want to have his own officers out there getting run through the mud for how they were acting off duty as guys that are supposed to protect and serve. So I guess, you know, we wait, I mean, of course we'll stay up to date on the latest things that come out and things like that. But until we know everything there is to know, I I don't know exactly how, how to judge what's going to happen or how we should even feel about it. I think it was, uh, you could even go as recent as the the days of, you know, probably late nineties and prior. And to me, I mean, I'm 31. My friend Adam here is, what are you, 32 now? He just had a birthday or something? Uh, let's not talk about it. All right, you're old. So um, essentially... 30-ish I, sounds good. You know, I grew up from, I was always taught with my dad, you know, fights happen, you go shake their hand afterwards, and you guys are buddies, you know? But that's also a guy born in 59. And now with TMZ using, you know, up-to-date techniques to get videos, like paying for the Ray Rice video, I, I thought about it, I'm like, there's no way there's no video. No way. And to me, this is a dumb bar fight, and it really shouldn't be a thing, you know? So I, I, I kind of agree with you. It's like, 
do we really judge on it and, and, and go with it? But I just want to give out the latest, see what's going on. But to me, it's, it is what it is. It's a bar fight. But I thought it was a little disgusting that the mayor came out and tried to nail him to the cross, per se. You know, it's like, really, dude? That's kind of rotten to me. But it's just a little weird. We don't have any details, and it just seems like a media game at this point. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I mean, when it comes to shake their hands and whatever else, I mean, if you're the off-duty officers and you just got beat up by um, someone who has, I don't know, a $50 million contract, you might be seeing dollar signs in your eyes, too. So I think it's uh, probably a little more complicated than just uh, your run-of-the-mill fight, shake their hands, and everybody go their right. separate way. I mean, it's also it's also a major celebrity in Philadelphia. I mean, I, I don't even think that we here um, really understand exactly what a big celebrity that LeSean McCoy is there. Um, you know, he's from Pennsylvania, and not necessarily Philadelphia, but a huge star in Philadelphia. He's uh, from and, Harrisburg, and, you know, like, right? Yeah, and, and a guy who put together a darn near Hall of Fame career with setting lots of records and things like that. I mean, to us, he's just the guy who showed up here, and now he's the running back, and he's pretty good at sports. But I think to them, he means a, a lot more. So it probably, from our outside view, is just looking at it as, well, let's see what happens with this, and hopefully he doesn't have to miss any games. But maybe to them, uh, because he is sort of a member of their community and a celebrity there, maybe it draws a, a little more emotion, and that's how you end up with the mayor saying the things that he said. And, of course, you know, he's just pandering as well and making it want, want to make it look like he's standing up for the cops and right. stuff like that. I'm sure I'm sure we weren't the only ones rolling our eyes at that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just amazing because, to me, that's like saying if, if one of our favorite guys got traded away and, you know, I just can't picture the mayor coming out of anywhere. Or, or anybody really trying to, to, to hurt somebody who's done so much for your city. He's brought a lot of positivity to your city. It's kind of like, hey, if there was a misunderstanding, it would be kind of nice if if it was the, the, the police fault. Hey, you know what? Maybe we overreacted, whatever it is. But it's just kind of ironic because 20 years ago, back, you know, it's like that, that wasn't going to – it, it kind of, I feel like, would have been swept under the rug a lot more because there's not going to be as crazy a reporting, you know, as there is now. It's just so instant and, and – it's almost like Roger Goodell in the NFL. They just have a microscope on everybody, and I think it's kind of backfired on them because simple math is you have the most players of any league by, what, two-thirds of rosters? You know, so odds are you're going to have a bigger police plotter. It's just why do you want to draw attention to it? So I really hope that, obviously for us Bills fans, that, that it, that is what it is. It's a bar fight. You don't have all the details and whatever. Even if he has to pay him to get out of it and he doesn't get suspended, that's what I hope. But obviously, well, I think well, you're probably standing on the same uh, platform there that a lot of people are, with just waiting and seeing and hoping that he doesn't get suspended. But you know, I will say that if he is, was involved in harming these guys, then he deserves to be held accountable, just like everybody else. I mean, definitely, this definitely. is the sort of this is the sort of thing like that you go back and forth on because you want your sports team to do well. You want the best player to be on the field. But at the same time, I mean, at least in my mind, the way I look at it is if uh, guys are, uh, are out of line off the field, then they do not deserve any sort of special treatment. I mean, this one, I could totally buy into the idea that, you know, there was some sort of disagreement and punches got thrown. And then the guys who lost the fight decided that, 
they were going to get back at McCoy for, uh, you know, for, for beating him up or, you know, on McCoy's side and his friends there, um, that you could see where it was more of them being mad that they lost than really thinking that they weren't at fault at all and that it was some sort of vicious attack. And considering McCoy's past history, there have been some goofy things with him. Really? Like involving partying and women or whatever else. Like you remember the the, the women-only invitation yeah, thing? Yeah, to, to me that's kind there, of like what you do with money, though. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like you're telling me uh, a lot of people want to do that? It, it's I don't just, know. Yeah, well, I, it, we talked about it, though. It looked bad the way he laid it out. Uh, yeah, I'm just yeah, saying that yeah, there was true. never anything. There was never anything violent. Like there were, there were funny little incidences that involved him that we sort of laughed at and went like, "Why are you, you know, throwing women off a bus that you invited to have a wet T-shirt contest and like goofy stuff like that?" But never anything like beating people up and getting in fights. I mean, usually there is some sort of history with certain people. So I don't know. I guess. Like I said, we we just have to wait and see. But I, as the longer it goes on, the more of the feeling you get that nothing is really going to come from it. That's kind of what I thought. The fact that no charges are brought up, I mean, it is what it is. But um, Yeah, they seem to be hesitant on it. Yeah. That, um, you know what? He's got money, and he's going to spend money, and it looks like he got the best, probably the best guys he could get. Essentially, you know, people are saying, oh, it's like the OJ defense. Yeah, whatever. But um, So really the reason we had you on was um, – your ears to the ground and everything, and I know you're huge with analytics. We don't have an echo for you, but um, it's to. I just wanted to call out the the holes and on the team, and I, and I would love. I'm always intrigued because right after the season, you're kind of like, where where does this team actually stand? And after a year like this, it's kind of. I'm looking at the defense. Was it players not buying in, or was it really the scheme sucks? And to me, that Week 17 game really shows a lot. It shows players that I didn't even recognize the numbers, you know, doing things defensively better than the guys that were there, or at least it showed up. You know what I mean? I know it's only one game, but that Jets offense was no joke. And well, I, I mean, I, I think it's probably a combination of all the things that you named. That it, I mean, we always want to pin one explanation and say X equals Y um, for when a team doesn't succeed. I mean, I think that injuries were a major part of it, and it can't be glossed over when you lose your best safety, who is, I don't know, what, maybe the 10th best safety in the league or something like that. Yeah, I, I would, I would put top third, and especially the fact that he's a cornerback and wrecks the scheme. I don't know about you. You have five defensive backs coming into the season. You know what I mean? Five, or I should say five cornerbacks on the field. You know, it, to me, that was awesome to move Corey Graham in theory. Yeah, I mean, so Aaron Williams is very valuable, and he goes down in week two, and then he basically doesn't play the rest of the season. I thought that was a big deal. And Kyle Williams was in the Pro Bowl last year, and he has been perennially a terrific player for this team, and they missed him for a very large portion of the season. Now, that doesn't mean that it was all on injuries. It could be somewhat on scheme as well. The teams have adjusted to what Rex Ryan has been doing the last few years. I mean, if you look at, just even with the Jets the last couple of seasons, 
he was touting the yards against, but there were, you know, in terms of points against, it was not all that impressive over the last couple of seasons when he was in New York. And then it was just so-so this year uh, with this team. And then I think Mario Williams dragged them down because you pencil him in for a guy that's going to get anywhere from 10 to 15 sacks and be a dominant and disruptive player. And last season, he was not that at all. And it wasn't just that he wasn't getting sacked. He wasn't disruptive. I mean, comparing it to Jerry Hughes, I thought Hughes didn't get the sacks that he did before, but he did a really great job of pushing linemen back into the quarterback's face. And he handled all the other assignments just fine. They came along when it came to occasionally covering downfield or dropping back in coverage, and we didn't hear any any complaining from him. So I don't know. And and Jerry Hughes also strikes me as the type of guy that would let you know if he had a big problem with it, judging based on how many penalties he picks up and also how he didn't get along uh, at all with Doug Marone and, you know, made sure that um, a lot of people understood that he didn't get along with Doug Marone. So we didn't hear any complaining from him. And so I think that there were guys who did not fit the system. I think Mario basically gave up after about half of the year, if not very early on. So uh, there were a number of problems and I think that most of them are pretty fixable though. I mean, if Aaron Williams comes back healthy and they add a couple of players here and there to fill in roles on the defense that maybe uh, are better fits, and a pass rusher, which is, you know, I imagine you guys are thinking about the draft as everybody is, uh, would lock it in to me that they're going to get, if not the first round, then maybe the second round, but I would even guess the first round is a pass rusher, you know, outside linebacker or defensive end type because they need somebody to fill that hole. Uh, They haven't cut Mario Williams yet, but uh, I think that's coming. Frankly, the way I look at this, and uh, I know Adam's with, usually with me on this too, is it makes the most sense financially, cap-wise, to draft a defensive end. Because I, the way I look at it is you kind of look at the stagger. It, it, I notice with the Bills, it's like, all right, you got Stephon Gilmore, and not that they were looking for a corner per se. We don't know behind closed doors. But they have Ronald Darby. So it's like if Gilmore goes, you still have Darby, who if he holds on to the form he had this year, which was obviously phenomenal, Best draft in the AFC, or best guy in, in the AFC East, I would say, of the draft, right? So you got to figure, wouldn't you kind of do that same stagger like Mario Williams to Jerry Hughes? You know what I mean? And and it kind of it kind of would make sense. Well, I, I think the bigger picture here is that you know Mario Williams is a lock to be gone, and they need him to be gone in order to look forward with the cap space. Because, you know, I I know in the NFL that there's always ways around the cap. I mean, even with franchise tagging players, for one, and you've got other options, you know, your front load contracts or whichever thing. You pay a guy a lot of money to be your salary cap guy because of how much that helps now that the Bills are essentially a team that's going to be paying uh, a lot more money than maybe in the past. Maybe in the past it was like, salary cap, what's that? But, uh, you know, now they're a team that's going to go out and get free agents like Percy Harvin and like Charles Clay and LaShawn McCoy making that trade and then re-signing him. And they're going to push it all the way up to the cap with this ownership, which means you have to even be more and more savvy about it. Yeah, and I, I, Mario, I yeah, considering, well, that's a, it's definitely a, one of those cliche good problems to have. But, you know, if Mario had put up 15 sacks this year, the decision would have been really difficult. But 
since they didn't, or since Mario Williams didn't, and was kind of a malcontent throughout the way. I mean, it's a really easy decision. So I think it creates 12-something million dollars in the cap. Like, do it and do it now, and then make sure you can keep Cordy Glenn. And, and to be honest, I, I need to keep Stephon Gilmore around. I think having those two guys, Gilmore and Darby on both sides, can be dominant. Um, if you continue to, to fill in with the scheme with Rex, one thing that we wouldn't question is how those two performed under Rex. And I, I think those two need to be locked up long-term, you know, with Gilmore coming up now and then eventually Ronald Darby too, that those can be big money guys because they're going to be the, the, the key parts of the defense outside of whoever is in pass rushing outside of uh, Jerry Hughes. Now, do you think um, with, with, with Mario Williams now last Sure, we didn't even intend to start out with Williams, and I, I just wanted to talk about him passing. And and we reflected on, I remember being hooked on WGR just all day. My cell phone battery was dying for Mario Watch. And Buddy Nix, what's he doing here? He's going nuts. Mario Williams, they won't let him leave. And it's just tragic to see if it ends this way. But frankly, do you think Mario Williams watched a Super Bowl? Because to me, you do what you're told. And... Last I checked, Rex Ryan has a hell of a history, and it's kind of almost disrespectful for you to do what you want when you're costing the team. He's, you know, if he was to be on the team this coming season, he'll be 13 mil, right, and then seven million dead cap. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to me, it's like if you fit in a defensive end in the first round, well, or even you find a, a guy. I, I still think if you had that budgeted, you still have six million to play with. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't yeah. be shocked if they found a guy, you know, like Doug Whaley loves to say, the dust settle guys. It, well, the, the way that I, in the draft. Yeah, the way that I look at the Mario Williams uh, full picture is that you would do it a million times over because of to. what he gave because of what he gave you over the few years that he was here. I mean, it certainly was far from Mario Williams' fault that they didn't make the playoffs when he was at his best for those three seasons. I would say maybe two and a half. He got off to a really tough start um, his first season here. And then other than that, I mean, I, I thought going back, I guess, two seasons, depending on which way you look at it, when he had 14 and a half sacks, he was – a defensive MVP candidate possibility at one point during that season because he was so hot. And there were games that he almost won himself. I'm thinking of a game that Thad Lewis uh, beat the Miami Dolphins. I was and thinking Mario the had... same game, the same at home, yeah, right? I mean, yep. Uh, yeah, I, I forget uh, most of the details of that game. It's kind of a blur, but I remember a, a sack late in the game and maybe a forced fumble or something like that. But there were – I mean, there was a game against uh, the Carolina game, E.J. Manuel's comeback win there where Mario completely dominated the Panthers and they slowed down Cam Newton. I mean, there are plenty of examples that you could think of where he was really dominant and great for this team. And now you just ran into a point where, well, Mario is still Mario. He isn't that type of, you know, I I don't know, like uh, team guy or leader or, you know, one to sacrifice himself for the better of the team. And we knew this. I mean, there are, throughout sports, there are lots of players that are selfish, that are all about themselves, and the teams still get along just fine. I mean, you might make a comparison with some wide receivers in the league. Like, they couldn't care less about anything else but the money and the number of catches that they get and, you know, whatever. Pass rushers might be the same thing. Uh, middle linebackers might just think about the number of tackles and stuff like that. Like, there are lots of selfish players in the league. You can have them 
It's just that you have to understand that that's just what they are, that Mario is a guy who's always been this way. He's never been a leader. So, fine. Like, it worked out. You got a lot of sacks. And then once you didn't get your way, you pouted and sort of mailed in the season and really kind of hurt the team. Uh, well, yeah, we kind of knew we kind of knew that was a possibility. And the weirdest part is when, when the reports were coming out of Houston. Oh, you know, he was taking plays off. I'm sure you were with me. Oh, I don't know he wasn't. Oh, at least that's no. Mario's the greatest thing since sliced bread. We got to get him. Don't even worry about it. Well, guess what happens? The guy's not satisfied. And now I don't know if it's hot smoke from Rex, but frankly. The biggest hole on the team to me is linebackers, and I don't even know where to start because the hot smoke from Rex, I don't know if it is, is, but I want to give Rex the benefit of the doubt. Like, we try to make it a point where, and this is why I like you guys, you guys objectively at WGR, the morning show, afternoon show, John Murphy, Sal Capaccio, you guys all look at it from the coaches and the players' perspective. I feel like you guys do a really good job being objective. But then you read things elsewhere, and it's just like the same old, let's just hammer on the player. And why didn't he answer this question? And it's like a lack of respect thing. So what I'm wondering is, if it's hot smoke or not, Rex is like, look, I tried to implement Jim Schwartz's scheme in this thing. We tried to do it. It didn't work. And one person that really fell off as far as what we're hearing was Nigel Bradham, and before the season started, we were all concerned, what's going on? We got to lock that kid up, and then Preston Brown had a phenomenal, I thought he had a solid, not phenomenal, but a solid rookie year, like, wow, this is Mm -hmm. awesome, and then he fell off, but at the same time, on a side note, I don't know if it was context, but he made references as well that this isn't working, and... I just don't, like, to me, it's weird. Like, Manny Lawson, just like the same year he had with Patton, just playing awesome. And I remember reading about Manny Lawson, and I love reading pro football talk comments because you you get little tidbits of information that you would have never known besides, you know, people trashing him. And one thing they said is, oh, yeah, good luck with Manny Lawson filling in. Manny Lawson has been nothing but solid, I feel, for the Bills. And, and and it's a testament. Now, what I'm asking you is, if they lose Nigel Bradham, is it that much of a loss to you? Yeah, if he, I mean, the way that he played this year, uh, he certainly didn't look like he was a fit. And, you know, the thing is that it's it's hard to decide when it came to all the noise that was coming out, whether it was Preston Brown saying there were communication issues, then Rex saying, no, there weren't. (laughs) You know, things like that. Like, there were a lot of uh, frustrated players. And I do like the fact that Rex Ryan says, look, even if you guys are criticizing me in the media, that's fine. I'm not going to get too upset over guys speaking their mind and listen to them when it comes to scheme changes and and things like that. I I think that's, that's positive if you're playing on the team. But at the same time, when guys started speaking their mind, there was definitely heads to be scratched over what was going on wrong exactly because things that Rex were saying were the problem were different from things that were that players were saying. And, you know, it's, it's not like any of these guys we're talking about are irreplaceable. I mean, even considering Mario Williams' age and cap hit, it was smart to cut him even if he had a good year. So we sort of go, okay, no big deal. And uh, Nigel Bradham, all right, well, you know, he was – he was just a, a decent linebacker, but the key to this team is the cornerbacks and the defensive line so we can fill in the spots. But you have to ask, is it 
the players who were the problem, or was it Rex's scheme? And I'm not sure through what we've heard whether we can really figure that out until next year when we see a whole offseason to fix it. And Rex has already come out and said, oh, yeah, we're fixing it. There's no question. So, all right, well, if he can fix it, then we can always write it off to growing pains with a new coach. But if it looks exactly like it did this year, then we're going to be saying, okay, there's a big problem here, that there was something way more wrong with Rex's scheme than it was uh, the players. Right, right. And I think along the lines of, of, of the same thing, which is I believe in Rex over the players. And, you know, people can bash on him bringing in Jets players. And, of course, they're brought, it's kind of like the hot topic. Um, you know, I try not to, to – unfortunately, with Twitter, I, I have to follow certain people to see their opinion, even though I just want to smash my face into my phone relentlessly sometimes. And it's like, how do you – you know, like the, oh, cut Shady McCoy. Get the, get out of here. Go get a life. You're not cutting Shady McCoy. You're stupid because it, it, it's not happening. It's not good. That was a good move. And to me, it's like not for nothing, just – Give this guy another chance at it and get some Jets players in here, or, or he's going to bring in some depth guys. He's going to. And if you got a guy who can help translate, people will rip on it. Of course, he's bringing in another Jets guy. Who cares? Does it help the team? I don't care that his brother's here, and, and I think it's good that he's that he will probably him and Doug will probably do that. I don't see why not. And um, I, had a, I had a guy for you, Muhammad Wilkerson. Isn't he a free agent this year? Yeah, I don't under, I don't know how they would possibly afford him with all the other players that they're having to sign and pay though. Cause he's pretty I mean, versatile he's, though, right? Yeah, I, I mean he's a wonderful player. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And he loves. From what I hear, he loves Rex Ryan. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a superstar level player. It would just be like, how could you afford him? Because he's a he's a guy that's going to be looking for. A hundred million. I'm just not sure how many hundred million dollar players you're going to be able to afford. Especially the Bills need to keep in mind too. When this whole cap thing is, I mean, if Tyron Taylor is amazing next year or even really good, they're going to have to pay him. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so every plan that they have when it comes to the cap in this offseason, I think this is why Doug Whaley has come out and said, guys, don't get too excited over NFL free agency opening because. Uh, you know, you could take the day off. We're going to be boring this year, and they're going to have to be boring. They're going to have to find a way to keep Cordy Glenn, potentially Richie Incognito. But other than that, you can't go out and try to get some guy like Muhammad Wilkerson or some other huge free agent and spend a lot of money because you've got to keep in mind down the road that you may end up having to pay a quarterback. And I think it's a I think it's better than a 50-50 shot that you're going to end up having to pay Tyrod Taylor because if they don't draft one this year and then are all, all ready to move on to the next guy, I mean, Taylor is the best quarterback you've had in a long time, is probably the first quarterback in a long time who is legitimately good enough to get you into the playoffs. And if there's no other plan to go to another guy, you got to pay him money or he just leaves and somebody else would be happy to take a quarterback who can go eight and six in his first 14 starts and not turn the ball over and add a running dimension. It's, you know, I'm not convinced at all that Tyrod Taylor is going to be a, a legitimate star quarterback in the league. But if he's on your Andy Dalton level of can at least get you to the playoffs, then all those quarterbacks in the league, they end up getting paid quite a bit of money, which 
means that the Bills will really have to have their eye on the future on this next year um, as they go along in this offseason. Have you have you looked at offensive holes? I mean, everybody's in a hurry to to replace the the backup quarterback, and and I was. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Matt. When they drafted EJ Manuel, I just said, "You got to be kidding me." Now, granted, I am not Mel Kuyper. I don't know crap, and I know Mel Kuyper sometimes doesn't know anything either. But that's his day job, <laughs> so it's like I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" But I am a believer in the underdog. And to me, when everybody was taking dumps on him this offseason, I'm like, no, he's been working with a guy. No, you know, and, and Tyrod Taylor, you know what? This is interesting because he broke all of Michael Vick's records, and he is a pretty calm, collective kid. And I'm thinking, you know, Michael Vick went number one. Like, what? And Tyrod Taylor, he just fell, but it's that whole size thing. And then I'm thinking about Russell Wilson, thinking Drew Brees, thinking, you know, our favorite, Flutie, but he wasn't great. You know, so it's like, it just makes me think that, do you think E.J. Manuel's going to get, I, I know Howard, it seems like Howard Simon always thinks that E.J. is going to get cut, and I don't know what to think, but a guy like RG3 kind of intrigues me, but I have a feeling that he's going to try to get a starting job, and it would kind of be ironic if he went to like L.A., and the same with Kaepernick. Kaepernick's proven it in Roman's system. At the same time, do you want to have somebody at that I don't want to say echelon because they've done it, even though you know RG three was only one year. I'm not. I was never really a fan from the, how cocky he was, but at the same time, there's two sides of every story. And you know, Shanahan says, "Hey, I tailored the system around what he was successful with in college." You know, this is the NFL. They drafted him. I made it work, but he got killed. So, I don't know. Where do you stand with the back of quarterback position? Well, I, I, I mean, in all honesty, if you look around the league at other backup quarterbacks, as sad as it is, you probably have one of the better ones in the league. It's top third, and that, right? Definitely top third. Yeah. I, I would probably say top ten. I, I mean, just based on his statistics, his win-loss record when he goes in, it's none of it's good, but nobody's good. I mean, a team employed Jimmy Clausen last year as their backup quarterback. It's pretty obvious from the Dallas Cowboys that if you lose your starting quarterback, um, you're going to lose a lot of games. And the same thing went for the Bills, that, you know, as much as we are lighting Ralph Wilson Stadium on fire last season for what happened with the team, uh, you can't tell me that if Tyrod Taylor starts the two games against Cincinnati and Jacksonville, they don't come out with at least one win. And this team does not come out nine and seven, or maybe going into those last couple of weeks as a, a, a real playoff contender, hoping for some breaks or something like that. I mean, how much different could the season be if TJ Manuel didn't have to play? I mean, usually you hope that your quarterback can come in and win half the games that he starts to the backup, but how realistic is that for most? And maybe EJ Manuel is about as close as it gets to that. So I, I don't know about taking a risk on, on RG3. Um, there's just there's a part of that that is so much a distraction. Even though I like low risk moves, right? Um, I mean that's that that one is to me uh, going a little bit above I feel and like beyond the media just here, regular I, distraction. I, I feel like the media will go absolutely apeshit because they'd be looking for a reason. Well, I don't know. Should they put an RG three? And it's like the one thing I do not like is when I was a kid. And the whole Flutie Johnson debate, I'm still pissed off mm -hmm. about it. Don't, you know, and especially with the Eric Moulds thing that came out, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. 
But John Murphy reset it recently on one of his podcasts a couple weeks ago, and he said it. He goes, look, Flutie wasn't playing good that last third of the year. Or, you know, so Johnson kind of made sense, and it wasn't from Ralph, and it, you know, but it is what it is. And it's like, I feel like the Bills haven't won in so long that everybody's so quick to, to make judgments and make, you know, and, and I don't feel like any other fan base really would have even as close as fan on fan crime. And and it's, I, I agree with you. It would bring too much publicity, but I think those names are interesting, especially Kaepernick because he's, he's shown it. And and I wish the Bills would have taken him second round instead of Aaron Williams because I, I looked at it like a quarterback that could have started soon. But Fitzpatrick was playing okay, I guess. So I don't, I don't know. Well, if you're if you're going to bring in RG three or you're going to bring in Kaepernick, then you have to get rid of Tyrod Taylor. The way that I look at it, you have to make that decision that those guys, that's your starting quarterback, and that's what you're going to go with. Because I don't like the idea. I I think that there's just as good of a chance, actually, probably a better chance at this point that Tyrod Taylor is a great quarterback in the league than RG3 because RG3 looks like, considering the injuries he's had and how he has to play in the league to continue as a starter to be effective is is running around and things like that. But, he, I mean, I was watching him last year, even in the preseason, he was getting sacked over and over and over again. And it's like, I, I wonder if he just had that stretch and then after that injury completely lost it and will never be the same. And it, with Kaepernick, I mean, you're probably flipping a coin to which quarterback has the better career from here on out. You could definitely see Kaepernick bouncing back from a bad season with a complete joke of a coach, What is what it looked like with Tom Sula. I mean, he just kind of became a laughing stock. But that team also lost the top offensive lineman. They lost their running back. On, on the defensive side, they had a couple of guys retire. I mean, it was a complete disaster of an offseason. And then, no surprise, they don't have much success when the season comes around for San Francisco. I, I could see him bouncing back, but could he be better than Taylor? Maybe. I'm just not sure how much better than Taylor he could really be. Is it just percentage points? Is that even worth taking that risk? So, you know, I, I think when it comes to the, the bigger point here that the options for backup quarterback, comparing E.J. Manuel to everybody else, like it's, you'd be hard-pressed to find any and, better And plus you got time in them, you know? You got time involved with them. Well, that, that can work as a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, that can work as the guy is so darn frustrated by not getting his chance to be the starter for a whole season or whatever else that, you know, I mean, that he just wants to go and he's become a malcontent. It does right. not seem like that way for, for E.J. Manuel. I mean, E.J. Manuel, for as, you know, I don't know, as much as I think everybody wanted him to succeed and he sounded like he wanted to succeed too, it feels like every time the guy talks that he's totally fine with being the backup, which is good and bad. It's bad because you go, man, do you really burn to win here if you're totally fine with being the backup? But at the same time, there has to be guys in the league like that. There have to be guys who bounce from team to team or who are the backup for one team for a really long time. I mean, Jason Garrett's an example in Dallas, right? He was Dallas's backup forever. Right. Alex Alex and Pelt, these guys got a few games here or there, but for the most part, they were just fine with being backups, and if they had to come in, they were okay, and they wouldn't ruin your team. So if E.J. Manuel ends up being that for the Bills, I, I think that's totally fine. And a lot of times the backup quarterback is, you know, smartest guy on the team, you could argue, you know. Um, look at the guys who have turned it into coaching careers, Frank Reich, you know, a couple guys you mentioned, 
and and um again it's like i want to believe in ej before the season and, and and i want him on the team i think he's a nice kid i think he represents you know but again like you said though nice and, and getting it done it's as much as he screwed up in the Jaguars game and gave us, like, the worst 12 seconds of football we've ever seen in our life, he did manage to come back to a garbage pass interference call on Roby that, oh, by the way, that same crew threw a few games later, like, what, five, six games later, the same a same garbage flag on Roby again. And, you know, and it's like, if he would have won the game, we would have been like, you know what, he went one-on-one, not bad. But it kind of sucks in hindsight that you realize how close Tyrod Taylor was, speaking of that game, you know, to actually playing when you hear Tyrod Taylor interviews. He's like, you know, I tested out in the morning and it didn't test my knee or whatever happened, didn't test out right. And I think it would have been a different story of the whole season because they were in it. Yeah, it definitely would have been. There's no question it would have been a different story. And and then, you know, that's the thing you bring up with uh, EJ Manuel about like the backup quarterbacks who have become coaches, and Gary Kubiak is another one who was the backup for uh, you know John Elway for a yep. really long yep. time. With with Manuel, I've never doubted that he was a really intelligent guy. I've just always doubted whether you know he just has that presence when he gets in the game because it seems like everything's moving way too fast for him and. He doesn't have the accuracy to make up for it and the quick decision-making, and he also doesn't have that little bit of edge, that fearlessness uh, that even we see from Tyrod Taylor too much sometimes, where, you know, Tyrod, you go, can you just slide, buddy? You know, Re- but Remember the Cleveland to... game? Remember the Cleveland game? EJ got hurt with uh... – what the hell is it? Yeah, it might have ended right there. Right. Like he, I, I thought that yeah. Cleveland game, I was like, you know what? Man, EJ, Wow. Wow, this is this is awesome. This this is the and then he then he gets hurt and I'm like no, you, no way. And then he just I don't want to say never looked the same. It wasn't like uh, I don't think it was what we look at Tron Edwards. Even though Tron Edwards came back from that hit and had the best I think his best game as a Bill or in his career after that against the Chargers. But EJ Manuel, you're right. It just it just doesn't. I feel like he's thinking too much and. If it wasn't the Bills and we haven't been losing for, you know, as far as not making the playoffs forever, um, you know, I'd be like, man, I'd love to see that kid really get a chance on a team and, and really develop. But when you get – I feel like these players, when they get their opportunity, you're talking about RG3 scrambling in the preseason and, and all this and that. And obviously you have a lack of talent if he's, you know, offensive line-wise, if he's – definitely not starting or wherever he's shuffling in in the preseason. I don't know where he was in a depth chart at the time. Um, but the way I look at it is how can you, you know, the, the opportunities are so small. How can you make the most of it? You know, and, and I feel that's what happens with guys and I don't blame them. But at the same time, what I love about Tyrod is his whole demeanor is I'm going to handle what I can handle and I'm going to keep it cool. And I'm not going to try to throw that wounded duck. And I think he's very underrated as a passer. The, the throws he makes, I forgot who it was I heard an interview with, and they were they were talking about Tyrod Taylor, somebody who knew their crap, unlike me, and they were like, you know what? If he's making those sideline throws, those are the harder throws to make than the throws down the middle. That's going to fall in. Actually, it might have been Greg Roman. That's going to fall into place. I'm not worried about it. And I agree with that because we have seen four years. I'll never forget the home opener. Ryan Fitzpatrick's first pass a few years ago was a Chris Chandler on a simple out route. And 
he overthrew him. And the whole stadium just went, you got to be kidding me. It was just like a, oh, come on, really? A few boos here and there, which I don't get why you boo, but they do. And it just, it's crazy. The quarterback position in Buffalo is under a microscope, but I think Tyra Taylor has it. He doesn't need to post 300-yard games. He hasn't had one all season. I was hoping against the Jets he would just do it to shut up the naysayers. And then he plays a Pro Bowl, and people are on Twitter are, like, ready to can him at the Pro Bowl. It's like, come on. The kid is so calm, cool, and collective and smart, and the team is behind him, which is very important. Look at him linking up with a guy like Percy Harvin. Um, lastly, I want to ask you, actually, to, to wrap this up. I kept you on a lot longer than we planned. Um, wide receiver, do you think they're set? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, I've, I mean, I've thought about the idea of possibly drafting a wide receiver as soon as the second round. I, I would be stunned if there was a wide receiver that went in the first round for the Bills simply because they're from the drafts that I've looked at, the mock drafts and the players that could potentially be out there, there really isn't one that sticks out to you that would be there with the Bills right. that you say you need to get this guy in the first round because he's so head and shoulders above everybody else. But I think the draft might be the way to go. The free agent wide receiver crop is just mostly unimpressive. Uh, you know, unless there is some plan to you know, bring back Percy Harvin, but I would be concerned about that because of his health. Be okay with it, but I think you need another plan beyond that. I think we learned that Robert Woods isn't quite a number two wide receiver. He's more of a number three wide receiver. And I think you need somebody across from Sammy Watkins. What I really want to see is them find another player that can – fit in there, and then throw the ball a lot more. I mean, you, you mentioned that, that Tyrod Taylor doesn't have to be the type of guy who throws for 300 yards every game, and I mostly agree with that, but I also think if you're going to be a top a top team in the league and a top offense in the league, that you're going to have to throw it a lot more, that you know, you get a little tired of listening to them tell, oh, we were the number one rushing offense in the league. Well, where did it get you? I mean, points, it didn't get you in the playoffs. Points, so, you know, you're you right. Know, I mean, and also, it took him half the season to figure out, and then part of it was injury. So, you know, Sammy Watkins was dinged up. You can't throw to a player that's not in the lineup. But throw to Sammy Watkins a lot. I mean, the guy catches the ball when he's double teamed. He is every bit as dynamic as we were told he was going to be. So he needs to get the ball more often. And whether you have another guy over there or not, I want somebody that just is a threat, that the other team cannot just, you know, put two guys over – Sammy Watkins for the entire game that you at least need someone else that if they try to double team Watkins the whole game that you're going to rip them up with that other guy because right now they don't have that person that's what Harvey or Harvin was and that's what made them kind of dangerous early on and then you know one of the two was hurt the rest of the season but throw more overall throw more to Sammy Watkins overall throw more to Charles Clay who is kind of the guy we forget about a little bit and McCoy assuming assuming he's in the lineup you have so many receiving weapons, I do want to see 30 passes a game, and not just when you're trying to come back from down two scores. And I can't disagree because, frankly, Watkins is such a beast. And I remember pre-draft, my, my friend Dave and I, um, I know you guys over there, or at least uh, Jeremy Jeremy White, was very, 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 come on, Mike Evans dropped. Mike, and I was on the same team, and my friend and I were at work. We're watching videos on YouTube at Sammy Watkins, and we're like, no, it's just—it's not even worth watching videos of, of Watkins again because the Bills aren't going to get him. So we start start watching Mike, Mike Evans, and I was thinking Ebron. I'm like, I am so glad. In a way, I don't care about that first round pick. You know, I, I, I it kind of sucked, 
But I felt like Doug, we, we kind of assembled the roster around it. I guess it's old news. I don't even need to rehash that. But you're right. If you target the kid, it opens up everything else. And believe it or not, I went in after the first game to buy at the bill store to buy a, a Tyra Taylor jersey, and they didn't have them. So I bought a Harvin one because I have like a little bit of a soft spot for Harvin. I followed him from from Vikings. I also would follow the Vikings too, and used to like him a lot as a kid with my dad. And so I knew about Percy Harvin. I saw what he did when he was healthy and the migraines, and and I just saw him. I was hoping with Buffalo, as we all were, man, maybe this is where he really reaches max potential. Even though he's had a couple decent seasons, like pretty good. Actually, one of them was pretty good. But I feel like all the retirement talk from him was him just being exhausted of being injured all the time. But the way he plays, the way he catches the ball, he almost turns into a running back. And he's so tough. And and, and it's like I like Robert Woods. I'm not going to bash on him. Chris Hogan's a nice player, you know. But when Percy Harvin catches the ball compared to Robert Woods, it's like, watch out. Because the moves Robert Woods tries to put on and get through people, Percy Harvin was getting through him. And his vision is just absolutely disgusting when he gets the ball. Me, being super fanboy here, which hopes, by the way, that Mario Williams and the Pills could work it out because I'm lame like that because I have an attachment <laughs> issue. And oh, it's, it's kind of like I, I hope the same thing with Percy Harvin, you know. He's got so much untapped potential, but like they say, if he's not healthy, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. We, we got to beef it up, and I just don't know if it's going to be free agency or the draft, and it's great to have you on, Matt. I really appreciate it because it's nice to get a – what's the guy who's doing this every day? You're looking at the stuff every day, and, and I try to, but an opinion before they start really releasing players and free agency hits – is there anybody you have that comes to mind before I let you go? Uh, you know, in terms of specific players, which, by the way, if you go to just a little plug here for Sal Oh, Macchio, plug all his, you want. Uh, Sal is yes, his, our inspiration. Sal, his free agent, it's good, his free agent articles have been great, uh, laying out all the players that, that might be a possibility. And, you know, I mean, I don't know. He did a recent article that was really good about high risk and high reward type of players with linebackers. And, you know, I think that that might be a place to look. I'm not so sure that I would want someone like Rolando McLean because he does seem to be an issue. But, He's a knucklehead, you know, but I feel like the Rex guy, I feel, for some reason, I feel like in my head, we're trained to think that Rex can straighten these guys out. And I feel he's done it in the past. Don't you agree? Yeah, uh, definitely. Because McLean um, would be it, an amazing pickup. I've always been intrigued with him, but. I, I, I'm in agreement with you. There's always something stupid with that kid. Yeah, and that's the problem. And another one he brought up is Mark Barron, who was a safety and was actually in the conversation in the Stephon Gilmore draft. Yes, Mark yes. Barron, uh, the guy that could go to the Bills. And I, I think he's interesting because he sort of transitioned into being a safety slash linebacker. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, that might be something that would work in Rex's type of defense or that even just the NFL now – with more of a passing focus that, you know, that, uh, some guys that can play different positions like that, a safety and a linebacker, like a hybrid. Kind of like Brian um, Scott did. Like yeah, that's exactly who I was, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I would say with the, when it comes to free agency, I don't see many big names coming near this year. I don't think it's going to be like last year. But linebacker is definitely one where they're going to need to fill a role here and, uh, 
you know, I think that there's a chance to find a guy that fits a little better with Rex. Uh, definitely, I agree. Well, Matt, thank you for everything. I'll just shoot you a text when we're done here. And well, guys, this is the podcast. Matt, you have any plugs? Any articles coming up? I, I mean, the floor is yours, dude. Whatever you want. <laughs> well, just very excited about the NHL trade deadline. Uh, we'll see what. The Sabres decide to do. Um, you know, Tim Murray's always got the trade phone ready. So, Do they still have uh, the firepower know. for uh, Stamkos or no? Uh, well, not in a trade. That won't be in a trade. If they get Stamkos, it will be in free agency. So we'll have plenty of more time to talk about that. But the trade deadline is going to be lots of fun. So I'll be looking forward to that. Well, awesome. Well, you're Matthew, WGR on Twitter, and Matt is also the wonderful producer on really – my favorite spot to get Bill's information because, frankly, again, like I said earlier, they're objective. What I love about WGR is, you know, show up a bulldog. People might not agree with everybody's opinion, but you guys all seem to have each other's back. And uh, and I'm not in the building, but at least what it seems like to us, a, a nice, fun atmosphere that you guys all work right together. And Sal Capaccio, um, just a, a second on Sal, I mean, man, I remember streaming – um, national radio broadcast from my BlackBerry back in the day just to hear about coaches, you know, when there was murmurs before Chan Gailey. And, I, and I've just been hooked on trying to get my Bills information. And, and coming across you guys is great, but Sal Capaccio was one of the big ones. I, would, I don't know, did you ever listen to his podcast at all by chance? Well, back in the day, no. I, I met him only when he started working at WGR. It was awesome. He would, like, produce – he had his own producer – and it was like it was like it was on the radio. He was professional about it. He had a little webcam set up. Really awesome, as detailed and as hyper as he is now. But that guy, it must be awesome. That guy's a wealth of information. And he's so cool, too. He seems pretty real. I, I like that he's not scared to get into it with guys. And either of you guys, you guys will pry the answers out of people, and it's awesome. So you guys do a great <laughs> job. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. Well, thank you. Have a good one, bud. You too. See it. Well, that's it, guys. No Bills fan. Adam, will you have any thoughts? I have no thoughts whatsoever. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened yet. You're kind of like a church mouse. Yeah, I'm quiet today. It's all right, though. He's watching the board. Don't let him fool you. Mono input, baby. All right. Well, that's it. NumbillsFan.com. Check it out. Follow us. NumbillsFan on Twitter. That's Numbills Adam D. And we're corny. So uh see ya.